0: G'day, you're listening to a sermon from Good News Christian Church. My name's Bernard. I'm the preacher and minister at Good News Christian Church. During this coronavirus pandemic, we're actually streaming, live streaming all of our church services. So after you've listened to this sermon, you might like to, on Sunday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time, 9.30, get across to our YouTube channel and join us for a whole church service. It's never been easier to come to church. Anyway, for now, why not read the Bible readings that are Written down in the description. Uh, Read those and then listen to this sermon and get in touch sometime. I'd love to hear how you go with it. Cheers. Has hope taken a bit of a beating in your life in recent times? Has hope taken a beating in your life just recently? Today we're starting this series in Romans, starting at chapter 5, and God willing we'll make it to chapter 11 over the coming months. Uh, This wonderful, rich, um, meaty book in God's Bible, uh, His Word to Us, one of the most influential pieces of writing of all time, Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, um, everyone knows Romans 5, don't they? Permit me to be a little bit cheeky for a few minutes here. You probably know Romans 5 uh, for one of a few reasons. Uh, number one, because with Romans 5, you can wheel it out any time that you want to start a roaring, good theological fight. Uh, Romans 5. So, Romans 5 verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people, because all sin, and then along with verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, uh, the fight goes something like this, Uh, what do you mean that by Adam's sin, that's the one sin that's referred to, the one trespass, that I'm condemned. How does that work? Uh, How can humankind, notably me included, be condemned, consigned to death, verse 12, death come to all people through one man? And so go the arguments of uh, what we call the doctrine of original sin. Uh, Number two, second reason that you might know Romans 5, uh, is to give a good pep talk to Christians when they're suffering. There's some verses in there for that as well, so Romans 5, say verse 3, not only so but we also glory in our suffering, glory in our suffering. There's a strange idea uh, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. Glory in your suffering, Christian, Do not suffer in vain, so while you're suffering, additionally, can you work on your perseverance and your character and your hope and then you'll really be on to something. I'm deliberately being a bit cheeky and insensitive, you understand. Uh, Number three, third reason that perhaps you know Romans pretty well, is because it is a cracker of a passage uh, for church liturgy. Specifically, the Lord's Supper, and in fact, I hope to read from it a little bit later on, in that connection, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, or verse 8, that God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Theological arguments, Romans is known for it. Um, perhaps insensitive pep talks, Romans chapter 5. Uh, liturgical uh, lyrics, if I can put it that way, Romans chapter 5. It's a well-known passage but today, friends, I want to take not just a verse or two, you know, a memory verse here or there, can we take the whole of Romans 5 and bring it to bear on this question, has our hope taken a bit of a beating in recent times? Because Romans 5 is about hope. Romans 5 Uh, takes what I think are two of the greatest enemies of hope, the the forces that erode a healthy and happy sense of hope in our lives uh, and, and, and it brings the Gospel to bear on each of those enemies, those foes of hope. Romans 5 stares down the barrel of suffering and it stares into the heart of sin and it asks you, Christian, what toll Have suffering and sin taken on your sense of hope, on your optimism, on your assurance of your future in salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ? When you look at the suffering of the world, when you experience hardship in your own uh, body and self, does your hope actually take quite a hit? Uh, When you live with sin in your life, uh, or when you see the sinful hearts, can I gently put it this way, of, of the people that you long to see come to Christ, that you pray for, uh, does your hope suffer a blow, Christian? And I want to say up front, as we return to church uh, from next week and as we uh, reset and, and restart all kinds of different ministries and things together, as we look out now together at a very different world, Uh, into the future, I believe that holding on to a healthy hope is going to be essential for us. I think it's going to shape the people that we be, I think it's going to shape the ministry that we do to hold on to a a healthy hope more. I believe a healthy, hearty hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that knows how to face suffering, that knows how to even face our own sin, is just what our world needs, needs to hear from us, needs to see in us At the present time and for the path ahead. So, can we please pray together and let's dive into Romans chapter 5 together, brothers and sisters, let's go, let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, uh, just taking the words of, of Psalm 25, in You, Lord our God, we put our trust, let us not be put to shame. Our Father, Your Word assures us, it reminds us, encourages us, That all who hope in You will never be put to shame. But Father, we we confess, we do falter. The evils of this world and the evils within us, they push us off balance, Um, sometimes just a, a nudge, but sometimes with a brutality that just knocks the wind out of our sails. Father, may we see Your ways and Your paths and rediscover this morning why hope in Christ is precisely the hope that a suffering and sinful world needs right now and that we need right now. Make us more hopeful people as we dwell in Your Word this morning, please and in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Uh, have you got Romans 5 in front of you? Please have it open in front of you. Uh, Romans 5, it's, um, let me give you a warning, Romans 5, in fact most of Romans, it's a dense passage, right? It, it is dense, uh, it is rich with sweet truths Um, but it's dense like a mud cake, if you get what I mean. So, it's rich, it's got lots of sweetness to it, but it's dense like a mud cake or a fruit cake, something like that. So, you're going to need it open in front of you, that's all I'm saying that for. So, to help us, um, let me just give you the overall thrust. If it's a dense passage, a rich passage, I'll give you the overall thrust before we uh, really dive in. I'll just do it in the form of a few questions. So, firstly, what is the message of Romans 5? It's that Christian... It's that I want you to have a confident, a delighted, um, unshakable hope in the saving plans of Jesus, for you and for our world. Uh, So, what could possibly get in the way of such a delighted, confident, unshakable hope? Um, Christian, there are two things. Part one, you will suffer and it will get to you at times. That's the first half of the passage. Part two, you're a sinner. And before you get to thinking uh, that I'm just talking about you know the baddies of the world, those bad people, no, I'm talking about you. Are you a human? You. <laughs> and at times that will come in on you. The, the hopelessness of our human condition, of our human race, that we are incurably evil and awful to one another and to God as well, does that not sap your soul? and erode your hope at times. That's the second half of Romans 5. Alright, so, if I'm to have a resolute, confident, delighted, um, bright, unshakable hope in a world of suffering, first half and sin, second half, then how on earth do I do that? How how on earth do I maintain hope, build and heal and, and expand my heart for the coming glory of Jesus? How do I do that? Well, Here Christian, let me read to you our key verse for today, when you see suffering and you wonder where the love of God has gone, when you see sin and you wonder whether God's love could possibly be for you anymore, Romans chapter 5 verse 6, our key verse for today, could you look down at it with me? Romans chapter 5 verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't just die for the good ones, He didn't just suffer for the righteous ones, So, Christian, will you let suffering help you to see Jesus? Will you let pain even, specifically, point you to Him because of what He went through for you? There where we see the love of God for the powerless. And will you let sin even lead you, yes, to a godly sorrow, but a sorrow that is secure in this, that God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners? Christ died for us. Do you see where we're headed for today? The love of God in the suffering of Jesus for actual sinners, taken together, that serves to bolster our hope, reinforce our assurance precisely in the midst of suffering and sin, fuel our longing for His glory Uh, So let's dive in, I've just got two points for today and to be honest, um, I've probably gone on about as long now as my two points will go for, you know, it's one of those sorts of sermons. Um, uh, Let's dive in and you already know where I'm headed. First of all, first half, does suffering sap our souls or does it assure us of salvation? Does suffering sap at our souls or assure us of salvation? So let's read those those first five verses together, wonderful verses, Um, they come off the back of, I mean we're coming into the middle of Romans here, aren't they? Aren't we? They come off the back of uh, Paul outlining the Gospel for four straight chapters now, that Christ has died, that He has risen to save a people who don't deserve it. Who haven't earned it and who couldn't fake it as much as we might have tried, it is by grace you have been saved, put your faith in Jesus and so Romans 5 verse 1, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, brothers and sisters, have you ever read those verses and thought to yourself, gosh, could I really say those to a person who's actually going through suffering? As in, it's a bit much, isn't it? A Christian brother or sister is going through suffering, it's a bit much, isn't it, to load on top of that person who already suffers the additional burden of a little bit of a self-improvement project on the side, do you see the conundrum? Have you ever felt that? Have you kind of heard or seen words used like that, perhaps from Romans 5, perhaps from somewhere else in Scripture, um, you may be suffering but look Christian, it's really a blessing, you just got to learn perseverance, think of, this, think of it as an opportunity to do that and to load on top of perseverance, character and character, hope and so, so suffering, perseverance, character, hope, look it's your time to shine, O oh, suffering Christian. May I just gently point out, I think verse 5, could we look there together, gives us an important clue about how to apply this passage well, and how not to apply it. (laughs) Um, And it's this, so perseverance, character, hope, those things flow, according to these verses, I think, not from within you, because you're strong enough, because you dig a little bit deeper, because you have what it takes. No, where do they... Flow from, they come from the Spirit of God beyond you and with you and for you and to you, absolutely, but verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then Paul goes on to explain, doesn't he, and unpack and unfold this love of God that's been poured into our hearts even in the midst of our suffering, uh that the Spirit is brought to bear in the life of our uh suffering brother or sister. See, what is this love of God? It's unpacked there for us from verse six. It's the it's that Christ suffered. Are you suffering Christian? then know that the love of God has been poured into your heart. What is that love of God? It's that Christ suffered, in fact He died. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's how God demonstrates His love for us, uh, according to verse 8. So friends, is Paul perhaps calling us to this? Not a brute perseverance, right? Stiff upper lip, Keep it together, your hope will magically sort of grow somehow. No, is He calling us rather to let our suffering point us to the one who suffers and suffered? What I mean is this, when you suffer, sister, do you see all around you a world that is suffering and that's all that you can see and there's no end in sight and there's nothing hopeful around you? Or, brother, sister, do you see in your suffering... A saviour who suffered for you, in fact who died and whose love will bring that suffering to an end one day. For you, His love poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit and in the Gospel. Paul wants my suffering, I think, to direct my eyes to Jesus, doesn't he? Because that's where a sufferer finds his God who suffered for him or for her that's the perseverance. It's not perseverance in how strong you are, it's perseverance in clinging to Jesus. That's the growth in character, in being a sufferer who leans on the love of God for you day by day and hour by hour. That's the hope-filled heart that will never be put to shame. Suffering doesn't put you to shame, it points you to Jesus, do you see? So, let me ask you again, has your suffering, has it sapped your soul or has it assured you of salvation as it's caused you to look afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ in His suffering for you? Has the suffering all around us at the present time, has it taken its toll on you, brothers and sisters? Has it eroded your sense of hope at what God's doing in the world and His glory can you honestly look out on our weary and worried world right now and say, you know what, one day, do you have that bright sparkle in your eye, one day, this world will be filled with the glory of God and suffering will be no more, I can see it, I know it, I see it because of Jesus. Can we see Jesus, friends? So, secondly, second point, so firstly, does suffering sap our sense of hope and or or does it assure us of our salvation through the one who suffered? But secondly, do we face sin with a desperate uncertainty or with a secure sorrow? Does sin sap our souls before the Lord, friends? Does it sap your and erode your hope of ever reaching that happy place where sin is no more, even in you? I think this one's uh, very personal, could it perhaps be even more personal than, than suffering? Uh, because it's, it's so private, isn't it? it it's, uh, suffering in some ways, everyone else knows about it, uh, not always, but very often everyone else knows about it, our church is praying for it, uh, people are calling to check in on me, they're trying to help me out but sometimes sin can be quite a private wrestle and can erode our hope in quite a private way. So, when I've fallen short, right, and I say when, When I've failed, uh, when I've hurt, when I've offended, uh, when I've made cry, when I've disappointed, when I've saddened or slighted, insulted, uh, exploited, sidelined, made someone small and then stomped on them or wimped out and regretted it forever after. When I am face to face with my own incurable, ingrained, insidious selfishness and sin, see, what do I do with that before God? In a sense, never mind your sin, God's capacity to sort of fix you, what does it do to me, those naked moments of sort of self-realisation before my God, does my hope emerge from that unscathed? Now friends, Romans 5, as I said at the start, is uh, it's famous for distracting us, actually, um, from really talking about sin in a personal way, how? By starting theological arguments about who's to blame for sin in the first place and specifically who's to blame for its consequences, one way um, or another. Now, how is that? Well, Romans 5, let me, let's have a quick aside here, Romans 5 puts two things before us that I suspect as Christians we all believe but it it doesn't quite tell us how to put them together and that's where the arguments sort of start. So, the two things, very quickly, number one, every single person on the planet, since the time of Adam, to the instant that you're reading this at the present time, is incurably sinful. Uh, Do you agree with that? I suspect most of us do, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's certainly part and parcel of our Gospel story, isn't it? Um, And incurable, when I say that, I mean... We haven't found a cure yet to make humans holy, noble and righteous and wonderful and pure and none of us has escaped sin, have we? And but for the power of God, none of us could ever hope to, realistically. Isn't that true? Let me say this clearly, given the the present crisis that we're in, the, the crisis of sin dwarfs the crisis of coronavirus. It does. Sin infects every single human soul. Uh, So, Romans 5 verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way, death came to all people because all sin, it infects 100% of the human race. But the second part is, it is 100% lethal. It kills us. Through the judgment of God. Romans 5 verse 17, cast your eyes down to verse 17, where it says, uh, partway through, by the trespass of the one man, death, death reigned through that one man. Uh, Down at verse 18, partway through, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. I wonder, have you recently given, considered reflection I guess, to your standing before the throne of heaven and the judgment seat of Christ apart from the Gospel of Christ. I think Romans 5 is designed in part to ask us, who are we kidding, friends? What hope do we really have? I'm honestly not better or good enough. Uh, I'm not, am I any better than Adam was? Uh, Or any other generation through history for that matter? Uh, Am I any better than you in any sense that actually matters? Or my parents or my grandparents? Uh, Am I a better human being in any kind of absolute before God with any sort of significance kind of way? Now, let me just mention this, the theological biffo in these verses is over this question, right? So, I may be judged before the throne of God for my own evil, self-absorbed, sinful acts, thoughts, track record, the whole thing because I've sinned, sure. But am I also, and will you also be judged, condemned before the Lord, just because you're a child of Adam, just because you're a human? Romans 5, you see, seems to treat humankind... As a block, as a whole, as a bunch. So, Romans 5 verse 15, for example, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. See how humanity there has been considered as a whole block, either under Adam or under Christ, verse 18, consequently just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So, also, one righteous act, referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus, resulted in justification and life for all people. Are we condemned not just for what I've done, but in fact for who we are as children of a human race that is sin all the way down? Now, personally, Friends, I think the answer is yes, I think it's both and I actually think the two are inseparable when you dig into it a little bit. Uh, We can talk that through some more uh, another time if you'd like, I'm not going to dwell on it any further than that but can we see at least this, whose humanity do I belong to? Do you belong to? Whose should I belong to? Do I deserve to belong to? I fit with Adam's humanity, I'm that kind of human. The broken kind, I don't belong to Christ, I don't deserve to be anyway. Now friends, does that get its claws into our hope from time to time? Because I'm not half the man that I wish that I was and and what does that do to my confident, kind of glowing, glorious, abundant, optimistic hope about God's uh, plans for me? Does suffering, Does my own sin sap my soul of hope, brothers and sisters? Does it sap yours? Well friends, if it does and I suspect it does, sooner or later, at one time or another, in one respect or another, if it does, I reckon verse 7 is for you. As we move towards something of a conclusion now, as we wrap things up and bring things together, I think verse 7 Was written for people like me and for people like you. Can we read it together? I used to think verse 7 was the weirdest verse in all of Romans 5 because why does Paul even need to say it? Why is it even there? It seems redundant. Friends, I think it's there for sinners like me, isn't it? And sinners like you to remind us. Have a look. Uh, We'll read from verse 6 where Paul says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 7 is there to remind me, Jesus didn't die for the good ones, the ones who deserve to be part of His family, for the ones who aren't broken, for the ones who don't have a patchy track record. He died for you, He died for me. Uh, someone might possibly die for a mate, you know, for a good person, right, you know, it, it happens sometimes, maybe but that's not our hope. Our hope isn't that Jesus would die for me because I'm one of His mates. Jesus died for Adam, Jesus died for stinkers, He died for you, He died for sinners, do you see? Did He die for you, friends, this morning? Have you taken hold of that? Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So, let's wrap up with this, Christian, does suffering sap our souls or does it assure us of salvation as it points us to Christ, the one who suffered, no, the one who died for us. Christian, does sin sow seeds of uncertainty in your soul, does it sweep away your sense of security and your hope of salvation before the Lord? Brothers and sisters, look again to Christ. God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want our suffering and sinful And hopeless world, to hear that from us and to see that in us. Let's pray... Father in Heaven, we want to have in our lives a confident hope, a delighted optimism, an unshakable view of the coming glory of God anchored in the saving plans of Jesus. May we learn to turn to Jesus and to look upon Him, to be reminded of Him, to fill our lives and our eyes and our hearts and our heads and our hopes with the love of God towards us in the one who suffered for sinners. So Father, everywhere we see suffering and everywhere we uncover sin, may we be reminded of Christ, the hope of our world and the glory of our God. Amen. Amen.